Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend and I'm the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're bringing our series, Engage, to a close today with a message from Pastor Nick. Prayer is a fundamental in the Christian walk and we firmly believe that God listens to our prayers and can move in mighty ways through them. We hope and pray that this series and today's message encourages you with this truth today. Now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, life has a lot of little mysteries, doesn't it? Little, little mysteries, things that, that you and I uh, are always uh, hope, hopefully being aware of, but mysteries that I like to say that kind of blow my mind. Things that if I think about them too much, it gives me a headache. Have you ever done this? Have you ever walked outside on a beautiful starry night and realized just how spectacular all the stars are? And then you do a little research and you realize that everything that you can see with your eye is in the Milky Way galaxy. And so our planets, our Earth, everything is in the Milky Way galaxy. Astronomers say that we are one of about two trillion galaxies out in the cosmos. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will that everything that I can see is a part of something that is there is a, a couple trillion more galaxies that are not even, uh, you know, even noticeable to the human eye. And it just simply blows my mind. I saw this on Facebook the other day, and it also equally blows my mind. Did you know that there is the same amount of years between 1980 and 2021? 41 years. Between 1980 and 2021 is the same amount of years between 1939 and 1980. Think about that. That seems like a lot longer time from 1939, I mean, a 30 to 1980, which is almost the year I was born, seems a lot longer than 1980 to 2021. And then I think about, some of y'all are doing the math, it's 41 years. Some of y'all do not believe me. I can see it in your eyes. It is 41 years. You do the math. And then there's things in the animal kingdom that are just completely mind-blowing to me. Animals that run so fast, a cheetah. The fastest known animal, or so we thought, I'll explain that here in just a little bit, but they are clocked at about 70 miles per hour, meaning that's the legal speed that you should be driving on the interstate, and some of you don't do that, but they run that fast on land. But did you know that the black marlin gets no street cred? It can swim 80 miles an hour, so it's even faster than the cheetah. And then the creme de la creme, the fastest animal in the animal kingdom is the peregrine falcon. It can dive for food at 200 miles per hour. And they live on all six habited continents. So just keep in mind that when you have a Krispy Kreme donut in your hand and you're outside and there's a falcon that is nearby, they can dive at 200 miles per hour. Something else that always blows my mind is popcorn. What a glorious day when somebody decided to put a kernel of corn in hot oil and see what happened. <laughs> Their mind had to be blown because they thought, wow. Something really cool happened, which begs the question, what else are we missing out on that we have not added heat and oil to in that moment? <laughs> There's just a few of the many things that blow my mind when I begin thinking about them, but more so what we're going to talk about this morning is even more um, just difficult for me to, come, to, to wrap my mind around. It's even more difficult for me to fathom, but in the most beautiful of ways, and I'm so thankful for it. And it's this promise that we see in Scripture that the God of the cosmos, the God of the universe who created those two trillion plus galaxies, one of which we are a part of, hears little old me, Jason Hale in Nolensville, Tennessee, when I pray. That he hears me and that he desires to, for me to come to him in prayer. So this morning we're going to be looking at what it means to engage in prayer. 
And what does God want me to walk away with in terms of what we're going to be looking at today in terms of prayer? And what is it that God wants to grow us in as we seek to engage with this most crucial spiritual discipline of prayer? So as David said earlier, I don't believe it's by accident that any of you are here. I'm so grateful that you're here. And so why don't we pray together and just ask God to show us what it is that he wants to show us today as we dig into his word. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you hear us when we pray. And we're grateful that you are here in this place. We thank you that you are close to us and that you love us and that you want us to come to you with everything in our life. And so, God, we come before you this morning as uh, humble servants, as vessels that we desire to see used, uh, use us in whatever way it is that you want to use us, Lord. And thank you again for what you're going to do in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. And amen. I think it's a pretty safe assumption that prayer is something that most of us have some familiarity with. You know, maybe it's a prayer before a meal. We say, Lord, thank you for this meal. Now, isn't it ironic that sometimes the 3,000 calorie meals are the ones that we ask God to bless, which is always ironic to me. Lord, please bless all of this deep fried food to my body, which clearly uh, is uh, whatever. Uh, Teams. (laughs) Teams will recite the Lord's Prayer before taking the field, or maybe it's a really low point in your life or a really low point in something that's happening, and we'll tend to, you know, call up on God in prayer. In that moment, my wife and I were watching this documentary about September 11, 2001, just this past week. And it was this very poignant story of these seven women that were directly affected either at Ground Zero or at the Pentagon. And we watched the story, and we were very moved by the story. And when we we finished it, we both independently looked at each other and said, wasn't it interesting that all seven of their stories, when they were at a really difficult point, they all talked about calling out to God in prayer? Because there was a moment that seemed so insurmountable. What do we do? How are we going to live through this? And that that was the natural response. And so whether it's something that's really, really heavy, something that's really, really tragic, something that's really, really difficult, prayer tends to be a go-to for us. Now on a much less significant level, uh, my seven-year-old daughter is playing softball for the very first time. And it's the first time that she's been had anybody pitch her a ball besides what we would just do and playing in the backyard. And she's had a couple of games, and when she goes to bat, I find myself saying, Lord, please let her hit the ball. <laughs> because she wants to hit it so badly. And I find myself praying those prayers. But is it possible this morning that God wants to show us more about prayer than what we probably realize right now? And I'm going to go ahead and let you know that if the only thing you ever think about connected to prayer is that prayer is an opportunity for me to bring my list of things to God to ask him for, then there is something about prayer that you need to grow in. Prayer is not just me bringing my list to God and saying, God, please hear all of these and act on my behalf. That's certainly a part of what prayer is, but there's more to the story. And so if you'll go with me to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and perhaps you can follow along up here on the screen, hop on that mobile device and follow along with us. But I want us to look at James 5, 13 through 18, about what it, what it means to answer this call to prayer and engage with prayer. Starting in verse 13, James says, Is anybody among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So what are some of the kind of points that you pull out of that? Well, first of all, you see James says, if you're in trouble, pray. 
If you're going through any season of trouble, pray. And then he says, if you're happy, pray through praise. And then he says, if you're sick, call people to come to you and pray over you. And those prayers of faith will be heard. And then he says, confess your sins to one another. Share your struggles with one another and ask other people to pray for you. And as a result of that, healing comes in your life. That confession and prayer is another crucial step in bringing healing in our life. And then he goes as far to say the prayer of the righteous person is effective. The prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And then he gives us this example of Elijah. And he says, Elijah, who's a human just like you, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then when he prayed for rain, the, the rain came. He prayed for a miracle, and he got that miracle. So big picture, after looking at James 5, 13 through 18, I, I think it's a, a, a pretty a fair um, assessment that this is where I am and perhaps this is where you are as well. And you see it here on your notes. If you want to follow along on those notes that we give you in your worship guide, perhaps you can uh, reflect upon that later in the week. But I know that this is where I am. You likely underestimate what God wants to accomplish in you through prayer. Big picture. I think I likely underestimate what God wants to accomplish in my life through prayer. You likely underestimate what God wants to accomplish in your life through prayer. Why do we likely underestimate it? Because we fail to realize what it really is. We fail to realize the power that is in prayer because what is prayer? Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is a direct access that I have to pray to God and he hears me, that I don't have to go through anyone else, that God hears my prayers directly. And it's a beautiful conversation. I want you to think about the conversations that you enjoy most in the, in, a, in an earthly realm, the conversations that you probably enjoy most are ones that are actually conversations. Have you ever had lunch with somebody and they say they want to get to know you and you go to lunch with them and or you sit down for coffee and you're there for like 70 minutes and you realize that 63 of the minutes they talked about themselves and seven of the minutes they ask you a question and then you get to the end of the conversation and they say something like, it was just so great to get to know you. And you're like, well, my definition of getting to know somebody is not what your definition of getting to know somebody is. But that's beside the point. Why? Because it was a one-way conversation. And sometimes with prayer, that's what we tend to do. We tend to think about prayer in terms of everything that I can say to God that's a request that I can hear something back from him, opposed to it being a conversation. And I likely underestimate what God wants to accomplish because I tend to look at prayer as just let me bring everything to God, opposed to saying, God, I want to listen to you in this moment. Now, what James says is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you ever stop to think about what does God want to do in the future? What does God want to do with me or my family or our church that I can't quite fathom just yet because I haven't had the faith to pray that prayer? Or I haven't had the, the righteousness to bring that to him because according to James 5.16, healing comes in your life. That's something significant that comes in prayer, that when I confess and that when I pray and ask someone to pray for me and bring those needs to someone else, that God brings healing in my life. Some of us have probably bypassed the very promise that God gives us for healing in our life for a much less reliable substitute. For some of us, we self-medicate. For some of us, we just go to other people. For some of us, we just kind of explain all of our struggles away. And what God is saying through his word is don't underestimate what I want to do when you invite me into the equation. Don't underestimate what I want to do when you rely upon other people and you, of course, bring those needs back to me. So Jesus is teaching us. The, the, the Apostle Paul is teaching us. Specifically, Jesus addressed prayer. 
He wanted his disciples to grow in their prayer life. He wanted them to understand what it meant to pray. And so in the book of Matthew chapter 6, we see Jesus interacting with his disciples, and he teaches them how to pray by what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And what Jesus did in this moment is really, really cool because he said, if you really want to know how to pray, let me show you the people that you shouldn't emulate. And so he looked at all the religious leaders who were standing over on the street corner, and he said, look at the way that they pray. They pray very eloquently. They try to use really, really big words. They try to impress everybody with the way that they live. And he said, if you really want to know what it means to pray, don't be like that. Don't make prayer about you, because when you're out trying to impress people with how smart you are and everything else, who's the center of attention? You are. And Jesus is saying, no, prayer is all about communion with the Father. And so instead of trying to impress one another with prayer, he says, go into a quiet, secret place and look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What did you catch in that prayer? It's a very personal prayer, isn't it? It's very humble. It's not saying, I'm in charge, but it starts with the acknowledgement of God. God, hallowed be your name. God, great is your name. Did you also catch in there that it says, give me this day my daily bread, meaning when do I have to come back to God for tomorrow's bread? Tomorrow. We like to have the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer would make more sense for a lot of us if it was like, give me, God, the blueprint for the next 10 years of my life. Or help me to minimize all of the risk, help me to not have any struggles, and just give me the plan for what the next 20 years of my life look like, and God, I will be obedient to that. And God is saying, give me today my daily bread is the prayer that he wants us to come to him with. So this is the type of prayer that Jesus says, I want you to model. But I don't want you to miss that prayer is just a part of what we've talked about this entire series. As Jennifer reminded us this morning, this is the conclusion of this engaged series. And we've talked about discipleship. We've talked about mission. We've talked about being, um, being a person who serves, a person who engages in community. And so prayer is a, a significant, such a significant part of our journey. But you'll see this here on your notes. Prayer, though, is but one part of seeing God's plans and purposes. It's a significant part, but prayer is but one part of seeing God's plans and purposes. How do we know that it's but one part? Well, James 5.16 reminded us that the prayer of the righteous is effective. Look at Psalm chapter 4, verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So what's inherent in both of those verses? James 5.16 says the prayer of the righteous is effective. Psalm 4.3 says the Lord hears the faithful. Look at these promises, the promises of God, the promise of God hearing me. It's connected to some action on my part. So there's righteousness, there's faithfulness that I seek to live in and live under, meaning that I need to pray. Absolutely. But I also need to simultaneously evaluate my life because everything that we've talked about in this series leads to a stronger prayer life. So maybe you're here and, you know, you say, Pastor Jason, I just don't feel like God hears my prayers. I've not been getting the answers that I want. I've not been getting the clarity that I need. I just don't know if he hears my prayers at all. And if that's where you are this morning, I would encourage you to start by taking a really introspective look inside and saying, am I living a life of faithfulness? Am I seeking to grow in righteousness? Am I seeking to be obedient? 
because God says that all of these things play together. All of these things are connected. And sometimes if we're honest, we struggle with prayer because we just don't see God doing what we ask. And if that's where you are this morning, I want to let you know you're in good company. I get that. I legitimately get that because I understand that. There are things in my life that I'm praying for and that I've been praying for for a long time that God has just not made clear. And I've been asking myself, God, what is it that, what what am I missing in regards to that? And every time that I feel that, I feel like through the power of the Holy Spirit, God gets a hold of my heart and says, just walk with me. The answers may not come the way you wanted them. And they certainly don't come in the timing you need them. But they're in my perfect timing. Walk with me. Trust me in that. And seek to be obedient in that. So prayer combined with consistency, prayer combined with faithfulness, prayer combined with obedience is where we begin to see some really significant things happen. And you know this to be true in other facets of life. Music, for example. Now, I'm not a super musical person. I make jokes up here on the stage that I wish I was talented enough to be up here with the band, and they never let me play piano or anything. Um, And I have dabbled in music enough to be dangerous, Uh, So much so I took piano lessons when I was a kid. My dad plays the piano, my aunt plays the piano, and so I took piano lessons as a kid, and I hated it as a kid. And then as a young adult, I decided I wish I would have really paid more attention to that so that I could have learned. And so I kind of picked picked it back up. Let me put that in air quotes. Picked it back up and have played enough, you know, to be able to... To, to do whatever I would want to do at home. You will never see me up here playing this piano in front of you. But let's just say, for example, that that's not your story, and you have never touched a piano, okay? You've never touched a piano. You've seen one, but you have never touched one. But let's say you want to learn how to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. So thank you for letting me share that recording of myself with you. (laughs) Not me. Let's just say you wanted to learn how to do that, though. I wanted to learn how to do that. You wanted to learn how to do that. I'm going to give you two courses of action, and you tell me which one is better. Okay, which one of these is the greater likelihood that I'm going to be able to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? Course of action number one. I sit down at a piano, and I say, God, please work a miracle. These hands are your instruments. Help me to read music, even though I have no idea what any of that means. God, are you ready? Bring the miracles. Okay, that's step one. What about course of action number two? I take some lessons. I learn how to read music. I start rehearsing. I buy a piano. I walk with other people who know how to play the piano. I, I, I get the notes. I buy the piece of music for Beethoven's Fifth. I seek to do my best. I rehearse. I work for months. I work for years. Of course, in the midst of all of that, I ask God to help me. God, help me to learn this. Help me to retain this. There is not a person in this room that would pick course of action number one as the best plan. Now, could God do that? Absolutely. God works miracles all the time. All of us would say, if you really want to learn how to play Beethoven's Fifth, you're going to have to put some work into that. But yet when it comes to prayer, we don't put in any of the work and we wonder why God doesn't come and just miraculously do everything we want him to do. It's why the prayers of a righteous person are effective. It's why it says the Lord hears so much the prayers of the faithful. So don't leave this place thinking that that 
I, I don't have to do anything because God says, no, I want you to have prayer, but I also want you to take these active steps in the process. And when you do that, you begin to realize miracles happen. And incredible things that can't be explained by human wisdom begin to happen in our lives. Sometimes as a pastor, I get asked this question. I get asked a question about prayer. You know, why do we pray? If God knows everything. I had somebody ask me this not too long ago. Jason, do you believe that God knows everything? Is God in control of everything? We call that sovereignty. Is God really in charge of everything? Does God know everything? Does anything take God by surprise? And my answer to that question is a very easy answer. Yes, I believe that. I think we see that in Scripture, that God is not a God who changes his mind. He's a God that is always loving, always holy, and everything is in his control. And then the follow-up question then was, well, why bother? Why would I bother with prayer if God knows everything already? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Why bother with prayer? Why take the effort if God already knows everything before I bring those prayers to him? Well, look at Isaiah 14, 27. Look at Psalm 139, 16. For the Lord Almighty has purpose, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? That's Isaiah 14, 27. Then there's Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me, were written in your book before a single one of them came to be. These are two of many verses in Scripture that speak to the sovereignty of God. That the Lord Almighty has purposed who can thwart his plans, meaning who can stop God's plans. No one can. All of my days were written before a single one of them came to pass. So why should I bother? See, the issue with that line of thinking, though, if that's the way that I approach God in prayer, then what I'm doing is I'm putting God on a shelf as a deity that I don't really care to know unless he does what I want. I'm putting God on a shelf, and I'm, I'm looking at God saying, you know what, I will worship him as long as he does everything in the timeline that I need him to do. And the problem with that is who's in charge with that line of thinking? Me. And in God's sovereignty, he says, no, I want to be in charge. And what I'm saying in that moment, and I've been very guilty of that, what I'm saying in that moment is that I don't really care about the communion with God, and I'm being robbed of something that's so crucial to my personal relationship with him. And part of that, part of that is trusting and realizing that even if things do not go the way that I wanted them to go, God is no less holy. And even if things did not go the way that I wanted them to go, God is no less caring and comforting and loving to me in that moment. So prayer is an act of worship that overflows from that relationship. And that relationship is so crucial. Now, I love my wife more than any person in the world. And she's sitting up here on the front row. Um, and because I married her, um, she should know that I love her, right? And uh, therefore, I don't ever feel the need to talk to her anymore because she already knows that I love her. Um, as she's now making her way to the stage. There's no need to... Um, spend any time together. There's no need to prioritize her over anyone else. Um, and in fact, the only time I'm ever going to speak to her is when I need something. Now, you tell me how good that relationship is going to be a year from now. Instead of our marriage growing, the marriage is going to decline. Instead of us being closer together, we're going to be further apart. The same is true when it comes to an understanding of who God is and how he desires us to approach him in prayer. You see it here in your notes, but the knowledge of God's sovereignty, it should enhance, not decrease my desire to pray. Sometimes we think about the sovereignty of God and we think, well, why would it really matter if he already knows everything? See, the knowledge of God, the knowledge that he is good, the knowledge that he is holy, the knowledge that he is sovereign, that should enhance my desire to come to him not decrease my desire to come to him. When I think about how sovereign God is, you know one of the things that makes me the most thankful? 
when I think about all that's happening in the world and all of the beautiful things, all of the struggles, all of the stuff that's happening, that when I pray, God says, I hear you. See, that encourages me more than sitting on the sidelines and saying, can God really hear? Or if God really is in control of everything, why is he not working the way that I want him to work? See, why are certain prayers answered and others are not? How does prayer actually work? Does God change what was going to happen as a result of the prayers that I pray? To be honest with you, friends, I don't know how to answer all those questions for you. I really don't. And I'm not going to stand up here and try to give you a really simple answer for that. But what I do know is that if we pray, we're more likely to grow in our walk. And we're more likely to grow in our affection for the one who loves us more than we can ever ask or imagine. So with that said, I'd like to take a little bit of time to just kind of practically look at prayer. Practically to look at it, because maybe as we've done every week in this sermon series, uh, it's, it, it's helpful for us to just say, hey, how can I grow in that? What's some practical steps and practical tidbits that I can take with me as I walk away about how to grow in my prayer life? And the first thing that I would tell you from a very practical perspective, and you see this here on your notes, is that intentionality and discipline will strengthen your prayer life. People ask me that often. Is prayer something that you can grow in? Is it something I can become stronger in? You betcha. Intentionality and discipline will always strengthen your prayer life. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, 11. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Look to the Lord in his strength. Don't just seek his face some of the time. Don't just seek his face when you're going through a difficult season. But seek his face always because that's how our relationship grows. There's always room to grow. There's always room to get better. You show me anything in your life that you are doing better today than you were doing a year ago, and you are showing me something that you have grown in discipline and intentionality in because we just don't drift in the right direction. We always drift to the wrong direction intentionality and discipline grow us in those areas. The prayers are heard according to Psalms. The prayers are heard according to James because of righteousness. Don't you love some of those miracles that happened in the early church? The things where thousands of people would come to faith in Christ in one day, and as church leaders and as congregation members, we kind of think, well, that would be really cool to see sometime. But what does Jesus say? He says that kind of thing doesn't happen without prayer and fasting. That doesn't just happen without intentionality? Or how about the miracles that Jesus performed? And go look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see that the disciples tried to replicate some of those miracles. And they're like, Jesus is walking on water. Let me try. Boom. (laughs) Jesus is feeding thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. Let me try. Not as effective. Jesus was able to bring somebody back from the dead, and we prayed the same prayer, and we weren't as effective in that. And Jesus, time and time and time again, said there was something missing in the approach. And what was it? faith. You didn't have the faith in that moment. So all of us intentionally and disciplined can grow in these areas. If there's a business model that you have figured out, maybe your business is as good as it has ever been. What you have undoubtedly figured out is through trial and error, something that works for you. And you learned it maybe the hard way. Maybe you learned it through some some toil and some struggles, but you figured out something. Some of you are golfers and you're golfing at the top of your game right now. You're golfing better now than you were 10 years ago. Why? You just golfed more. You just said, I'm going to do this more than I used to do. And as a result of that, you get better. It's really no different with prayer. Intentionality and discipline grow us in those areas. So a couple just practical things uh, that, that I do, a couple practical things that, that might be helpful for you. The first of which is just start your day with prayer. 
Start your day um, with prayer. Please, please, please do not let much of your day get started and underway before you've committed that day to God. Before you get on Facebook especially, before you turn on the news, before you check your email, whatever it is that can begin to consume your mind and kind of get you just kind of going for the day, commit those things to God. Whatever it takes to get your heart and your mind in the right place. One of the most spiritual things that I do in the morning is hit on on the coffee maker. It just gets my heart and my mind in the right place. And for you, maybe it's exercise. For you, maybe it's, you know, just a moment of kind of just sitting there and and being quiet and reflecting. Find a consistent place where you'll not be distracted. It's one of the best pieces of advice one of my mentors gave me years ago. He said, find a chair in your house that that's where you pray. And you go to that chair, and you go with an anticipation and expectation. God's going to meet me right here as I talk to him, as I listen to him. I would encourage you to start writing out your prayers. It's one of the most significant things that somebody shared with me and I've started doing for years now because my mind kind of goes place to place when I'm praying and you get a journal and you start writing out those prayers and not only does your mind stay focused, but what do you have? You actually have a log where you're able to go back and reflect and see what God has done. Some of you have brought requests to me. Some of you have shared needs that are going on in your life and added some of those things to those prayer journals and I went back and reflected and realized God answered that prayer. God answered that prayer. God brought clarity and and whatever it might be in those moments. So intentionality helps. Pray God's word. God's word is filled with so many promises. Psalm 139, 16 is a verse that sometimes we can use maybe as a reason not to pray. But how about Psalm 139, 16 being the very reason that we do pray? Instead of saying, God, can, why would I bother? Because everything is in your control. Why do you want me to bring my prayers to you? How about instead of that saying, God, you say everything is planned before it ever starts, so thank you that nothing takes you by surprise today. What a great promise to start your day with. You can say those prayers out loud. You can say those prayers quietly in your spirit. Whatever it is, write them out, whatever it might be. But just Simply bring those things to him in that communion to speak and to listen to him. And then I also want to share with you a couple of acrostics. Maybe these are helpful for you. Some just models to pray because the Lord's Prayer is a model. It's a model that Jesus gave his disciples as to how to follow. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with finding a model and saying, I want my prayer life to reflect those things. And the first of which is Acts. It's Acts. It's A-C-T-S. And perhaps your prayer life could start reflecting these things that says, you know what, I want to start with adoration. And then I want to move to confession. And then I want to transition to thanksgiving. And then I want to look at supplication. And maybe these are words, especially supplication, that you probably don't use every day in your everyday vocabulary. But what does adoration mean? It means that I'm adoring God for who he is. I'm starting my time of prayer thanking God for being so big and so holy. And then I move to confession, and that's me saying, God, I'm broken. And I want to confess those sins to you and those struggles to you. And then thanksgiving is probably the easiest of all. God, this is what I'm thankful for. I have so much to be grateful for, and I'm bringing that to you. And then supplication, which simply means I'm bringing those requests to God. Maybe it's a request for myself. Maybe it's a request that someone else has shared with me. But it's me bringing that to God. And in studying for this sermon series, I actually stumbled upon another acrostic that I like better. And this was new to me. And so what I like about it is I think it's really easy for kids to use. I think it's really easy for all of us that might just need a little bit of a clear example. I've actually even started talking about this with, uh, with my son just the other night. But it's not acts, but it's with. And I love it. It's the same principle. But the W stands for wow. And the I stands for I'm sorry. And the T stands for thank you. 
and the H stands for help me. And I saw this, and I thought, well, I don't ever need Acts again. I like this one better. <laughs> wow. God, you are so good. I, I'm sorry, God, for the things that I've done. T, thank you, God, for being with me. And H, help me, God. Help me to be there for other people. Help me to trust you more and more because I know that you are with me. And maybe there's another acrostic that you use, whatever it might be. These are just a couple of examples. But what tends to happen in these models is you start from a place of adoring him. And when you're adoring him, then that leads to confession. And then you begin to thank him for who he is. And then you need to bring the needs of yourself or others before him. And I hope and pray that in the midst of that, you'll find joy in the journey. And that prayer doesn't become this arduous process, but it becomes something that you cannot help but look forward to because you're trusting God and you're growing in him. Now, this morning, I probably did not answer every question you had about the mystery of prayer. Maybe you were hoping this would be a little bit deeper. Maybe you were hoping I would be able to answer for you every reason that God has not answered the prayers in my life, or you were hoping that I would be able to eliminate for you all of the unknowns. Maybe you were even wanting more practical steps. But something that I do know to be true of all of us and something I do know to be true of all of our conditions, and you see it here on the screen, is that you'll never experience the power available to you through prayer by praying less. You just don't. You don't experience the power. And friends, there is power in communion with God, in conversation with God. You don't experience that power by praying less. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is a verse that you should commit to memory because it's two words. <laughs> Pray continually. Pray continually because I experience the power available to me by praying more and trusting more. I don't have to remind you that there's lots of things in our world that we should be praying for right now. So many things. In fact, the world is so broken, isn't it? And you personally, maybe you're in a season of life where you're just needing hope and you don't know where to find that hope. And if you're not in a season where you're needing hope, I'm pretty sure that there's probably somebody in your mind right now that you know that does. Their life is broken. They're hurting. They're struggling. And you want to help them realize that there has to be more than where they are currently living and how they are currently living. We seem to be so broken. As a people, we seem to be so fatigued. As a people, we seem to be confused about things. I also sense that we're a, a, a divided people. Maybe those of you that have been um, alive longer than me can, can, can come and refute this and say, no, there was a time that we're more divided than we are right now. But in my adult lifetime, it seems like we're more divided right now than we've ever been. And we're divided over everything, aren't we? I mean, you name it. I mean, everything from politics to how to respond to COVID-19 to is this appropriate, is that appropriate, to what should we do in, in this situation, to who should you vote for, all of those things. And there's so many things that divide us. And I've been really troubled because even just this past week, I had a couple people reach out that had just shared with me some things that were really hard to hear where their relationships, major wedges have been driven in people's relationships because of division. And we're not talking to that family member anymore and husbands and wives that are not on the same page. And those are people that we're just kind of keeping at arm's distance. And I hang up the phone and I just think to myself, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I 
can't help but also think that that next level that God is calling us to, to move into is to not just come at people with all the hate and not come at people with all the vitriol and not come at people saying, you're wrong all the time, but to humble ourselves and say, God, make me a vessel for you. Forgive me for the things that I've done that are not pleasing to you. Because see, it's why we exist. God has not called us into existence so that we can be right about everything. God's not called us into existence so that we can be the best in everything. He's called us to be a person who serves people and who humbles ourselves and seeks to meet the needs of other people. There's incredible amounts of things that I know that all of us are excited about in this world. There's things you're excited about in your family. There's things that you're excited about in your life. And I'm sure there's equally some things that you're frustrated about or some things that you're confused about. But we're never going to experience the power that God has for us by praying less. We're never going to experience the power by trusting ourselves more than trusting him. So whatever God is calling you to, whatever that next step that God is calling you, the next level of prayer this morning, won't you just do it? Grow in him. Depend upon him. And I can't wait to see what he does as we deepen our relationship with him and we trust him in prayer, maybe in ways that we never have before. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. The band's going to come up, and we're going to continue in our worship by reflecting. But I just want to let you know if you're here and you're struggling, if you're here and you're broken, or you're here and you're wondering, is there really hope in the midst of all of this? I hope and pray that you'll allow God to meet you in this place, that you'll trust God in whatever it is that you're going through. Maybe you've just been really hurt. Maybe you've just really struggled to know how to um, love in this season. Perhaps you've struggled to know how to um, trust God more than yourself in this season. And won't you in this moment just invite um, God to come and just give him control of that. Or maybe you're here and you just don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ and, um, and you wonder, is it really worth following him opposed to trying to trust myself? And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would meet you in this moment. Or maybe there's a need that just seems so overwhelming. Um, won't you give it to him this morning? And let, let him control that. Let him take that. So God, thank you for meeting us here. I pray that you would strengthen us for what's ahead. I pray that you would come and search our hearts. And if there's anything that's not of you, I pray that we would give that to you in this moment. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, and we thank you for meeting us here in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. This morning, we want to respond um, with an act of worship that we call communion. And when you walked in this morning, if you would like to participate in this, there's some communion elements that are back there on the little table behind or beside the door. And if you didn't get those, you can feel free here in just a minute to move throughout the room if you'd like to participate. But communion is an act of worship that Jesus set in motion for us because he called his disciples together at the end of his public ministry. And he knew what he was getting ready to send them into. And his ministry was ending, but guess whose ministry was just beginning? Theirs. And he knew that the journey ahead for them was going to be filled with ups and downs, much like our lives are right now. 
And so this is an invitation from Jesus himself. This isn't from me. This isn't from Rolling Hills. This is Jesus himself. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And what he asked for you to bring to him is a, a heart that is confessed and a heart that is set right on him. And so the only prerequisite for this beautiful act of worship is to be someone who is walking with Jesus and have that relationship with Jesus. And so, again, at the end of his ministry, he broke bread and he poured from a cup to represent his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so that's this morning what we do. So if you'd like to participate, once you take back this little um, cup to represent the, the, the piece of bread here, the body of Christ that was broken so that you could have life. Won't you eat today? And then this cup represents the blood, the blood of Christ that was shed, that precious blood that was shed so that we could have life. Won't you drink today in remembrance of him? And as we continue in worship this morning, I'd love for you to just take this time to, to pray. Take for this time to reflect. Take this time to reflect upon who he is. Maybe bring some of those needs to him because he cares. He is the closest friend to you and wants to meet you here in this moment. And so whatever you've brought into this place, Give it to him this morning. Meet him here. And again, we're just so thankful for his power. Lord, thank you that you are so close. Thank you that you are so holy. Thank you that you are so good. And we trust you now, God, with everything in our lives. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We're so thankful for you.